My subject this morning might seem like an odd question. What does Jesus want for Christmas? I'm sure many can remember when they were a young child being asked by not just parents, but many people, whether it be other members of the family or even classmates or just kids in the neighborhood, what do you want for Christmas? Many things would come to mind, favorite toys, specific games, certain outfits that you thought were beautiful or really good looking and you wanted them. As you got older, it became you wanted the latest gadget. Um, and gadgets certainly have changed over the course of the last many decades. Something that you thought would make you look and feel cool, part of the in crowd. Then as you got older still, you not only wanted something, but you wanted something that the gift spoke to the person who was giving it how they felt about the relationship. You wanted them to have the gift show some thought. More requirements kept getting put on the gift. And you wanted the gift that they would give you to demonstrate that they understood you. Also, often, as we continue to grow older, we simply wanted things for Christmas, like the family being together in peace. Had to pause and add that last part in there, because if the family's going to get together and argue, well, y'all can have a Merry Christmas someplace else. But for the family to be together in peace and for, and for peace and love to rule, and that the times that we got together at Christmas time would be those times that create the happiest and most fondest of memories. That's a lot to put on a holiday season, even one as special as the one that celebrates the coming of a Savior. It seems that at Christmas, especially as we grow older, we tend to express our gift desires as those things that really matter to us deep down. It's not about things. Things are nice. But it's about something much, much more. So if we're talking about desires deep down, it brings me back to, so what does Jesus want for Christmas? Because these desires that we have deep down, we don't want them just at Christmas time. We'd like for our family to be able to get together in peace all year long. We'd like for our family to be able to get together in peace and have love rule every month of the year. So what does Jesus want? Not just at Christmas time, but all year long. So to answer that question, I'm turning to a passage that no one even remotely ever considers as part of the Christmas story or the Christmas season. And it's the final prayer that Jesus prayed before entering his Passion Week in John chapter 17. Now, it's a long chapter, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. But before getting to the verses I want to focus on, he opens this prayer in verse number 1 of John chapter 17 by saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. Jesus' desire, his prayer, is for the relationship that he has with his Father to be one that mutually glorifies. 
Verse 2 says that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Isn't that the desire of our hearts? Not just that our families would be able to get along and that the bonds of love would grow closer and closer, but that the people that are special to us, especially those that we take the time to be with at Christmas time, that they would know Jesus. What could be a greater thing? Verse number six says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Jesus is praying to his father and saying, you brought people into my circle of influence. You brought people into my care. And the first and foremost thing I did was express and manifest your name, my heavenly father. Verse 13 says, now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Verse 15 says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Yeah, Jesus, I would have modified that prayer. Take me out of the world. I have no desire to be in the nonsense that goes on around us and that we talk about on a regular basis. Yet Jesus' prayer is not that you be removed from the insanity. So often I hear Christians in so many different ways Uh, circles or or places talk about how they really can't deal with what's going on around us because it is so far removed from anything that even remotely resembles being a Christian. And I agree. But keep in mind, Jesus is not looking to take you out. He's not looking to isolate you. He's not looking to insulate you. He's looking to prepare you and I, as we sang, to be able to proclaim the way of the Lord. Verses 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus, in in talking to his disciples, a few chapters before this in John chapter 13, restates this principle in a different context. We want the world to know that Jesus is the Lord. We want the world to know that Jesus is the Savior. We want the world to know he is the promised Messiah throughout prophecy of all the Old Testament. And repeatedly, especially in John's gospel, we look at this. And one of the key ways the world will know that is how we are with one another. Is when the world looks at the body, looks at the church, that they may be one, he says. That you and I may be one. That God's people may be one so that the world would know That Jesus is Lord. And then Jesus getting to the end of his prayer. Brings his desire. What he wants to a climax. What is his wish for those. Whom he loves so dearly. Whom he loves so deeply. John chapter 17. I'm reading in verse number 24. Father I desire that 
they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, verse 25, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have, not, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love which you have, that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. What does Jesus want for Christmas? What does Jesus want? He, he wanted his disciples in this prayer before going through the most demanding week of his earthly journey. He wanted his disciples to have two things, to become real. He wanted them to understand his glory. And he wanted them to understand the Father's love for the Son. That is what I would call a Christmas list. You know, I've heard many over the years throughout my ministry and life as a Christian, and the sentiment is nice say that God created us and God saved us because he was lonely and he wanted us to be in heaven with him. And there are even songs that kind of convey that mindset. And it's a nice thought, even if it's not entirely scriptural, but it's still nice. However, what Jesus does want for us is not just to keep him company. What Jesus wants for us is that we would grow in an understanding and truly get a, a glimpse of the relationship that exists within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So my first point was that he wants us to understand his glory. This prayer doesn't say that Jesus wants us to be with him because of something he wanted. It says he wants us to be with him because he, of something he wanted us to understand. He, something he wanted to show us. His glory. He wants us to see his glory, his manifested power all around us. People in this world can choose all they want to look around them and see nothing but ugly. People can choose all they want to look around them and see nothing but pain. People can choose all they want to look around them and see nothing but injustice. And people can choose to believe that the ugly, the pain, and the injustice is all that they see. And I'm not going to for one moment deny that those things are there. But even while they're there, there is also the presence of Almighty God and Jesus' glory. Even in the midst of dark days, even in the midst of dark times and dark seasons, it's in the darkness that his light shines the brightest. Yes, the evil that is so accepted as commonplace and embraced as right in this world can grip our hearts sometime and just make us kind of wonder what's going on. But that evil does nothing to stop the light of Jesus from shining brightly. And God wants us to see that. We need to not only see his glory, we need to savor his glory. Christians, now more than ever, we need his presence. And like it or not, 
of you like it, but there are some people who are in the not category. Like it or not, appreciating his presence means appreciating the gathering of his people. I know Christians, I know them, trust me, I'm not naive. I know Christians can sometimes be hypocrites. I know sometimes Christians can be hurtful. I know sometimes Christians can just be downright mean. But I also know that it is the place where Christians gather where Jesus has promised his presence. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, a verse many of you know. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. Yes, thankfully, his presence meets us in those private places. His presence meets us in our prayer closets. His presence meets us in that quiet place. And yes, we all need to be able to do what King David did and be able to encourage ourselves when it's just us and Jesus. But enjoying his presence alone was never meant to be a replacement for the presence of God that we feel when God's people gather together. I need other Christians in my life, as flawed and as messed up as we can be sometimes. Now, I know none of you here are flawed or messed up. So maybe you can gather with somebody else who is flawed and messed up and hopefully influence them. But we need one another. That is how we draw closer to his presence. And in drawing closer to his presence, we draw closer to his glory. I need to gather with other believers, and I need to do it often. Because of all the things that have happened in our world and continue to happen, the pain and the crime and, and just the ideologies that become accepted as right and proper, there's a lot of talk, rightly so, about the Lord's return. It does really feel like it could be soon. I will freely embrace that and admit that. But don't tell me you believe that the Lord's return is soon, or as I've heard people say, imminent. And then we gather with Christians less and less. The Bible is clear in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another, so, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The more I believe his return is imminent, the more I'm going to gather with the people of God. The more that I believe the signs are clear, the more I'm going to make sure I'm with those who see the same signs I do. The closer that day comes to being a reality, the more we should gather together as a family, as the body of Christ. It says in that verse in Hebrews to exhort one another. In the Greek, that just literally means to encourage, but there's deeper meanings there. To counsel or console, to embrace and to comfort and to stand up for. We need one another because we are all involved in other relationships that at times don't have our best interests at heart. We are all involved in relationships that sometimes we're giving more than we're getting back in return. We are all involved in relationships that take. 
and we need to be together to encourage one another and stand up for one another and let each other know that you're valuable, that you're worthwhile, and that you're better. But all of that, that embracing and comfort and consolation and standing up for one another, that takes a relationship. And how many know relationships take time? There are people that, yes, I can love on and help and want to do my best for that I just met, but it's nothing like the people I've known for years. And that takes relationship. I have to be honest. Sometimes I look at the body of Christ and it's difficult to see how we can be a mighty army for the Lord when so many of our relationships within the body are so superficial, so shallow. One of the greatest things to me about the church, it's not just that we love one another, but that we take time for one another. We cherish one another. I'll tell you now to anyone listening, if you're looking for a church where you can come here and hide and people not even notice that you're here and people just kind of walk by you and not even talk to you, you'll never hear a pastor say this, but you're hearing me say it now. Go someplace else. Because this is going to be a church where we care about people. This is going to be a church where we love one another. And this is going to be a church where we learn your name and your story. That's family. That's a relationship. That is part of manifesting the glory of God. We are family. Our bonds will grow stronger as we see the times, as we see the day approaching. If this isn't what you're looking for, then look someplace else. But how do these bonds get formed? How do we do this? That brings me to my second point today. Understand the, Lord, the Father's love for the Son. That's a special one for me. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the, the Lord has not, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them that the love that God the Father has for his son would be in you and me I'll be the first one to admit that's a challenge to even comprehend one of the ways we can begin is by getting our lives right with Jesus so that process of comprehending the love that God the Father had for God the Son begins with salvation and having Jesus live in us, that our love for him would be like the love that the Father has for him. And before you say, well, that's impossible to know how much the Father loves the Son. Aren't there people in your life that when you have a need or you have something you're going through or some type of event that is causing you concern, you go to them specifically and ask them to pray for you because you know, one, they're prayer warriors. Two, you have a pretty good idea that God listens to them and that their prayers get answered. 
Who's praying here? Jesus. Jesus is praying. I think we can safely say that when Jesus prays, God listens. I, I, I have a fair, I'm going to go out on a limb. Every time Jesus prays, God listens. So if he's praying, Father, let them understand, let them see, let them know the love you have for me. This must be something that is possible. And something that we can enjoy. Would Jesus pray a prayer that wasn't feasible, that wasn't doable? To understand the love relationship that exists within the Trinity, that is the love Jesus wants inside of us. It's an unselfish love, which lets out over 80% of the love and the sharing that goes on at Christmas time. Because most of that is not an unselfish love, it's a deal-making love. I'll give to you, you give to me, we have our gift exchanges. I'd love in just one time for us at my job or in many of the various non-Christian settings that I find myself in, and they talk about gifts at Christmas time, for people to just bring in gifts to give. No exchange, no get back. I brought stuff in just to give. Just seems strange to people. And I've, I've shared how most people react to that. This past week at work, one of the guys on my job, he's actually a, a fairly accomplished baker. So unbeknownst to us, no warning, he brought in on Wednesday into the office a cheesecake that he baked from scratch. And it had strawberries on it and blueberries on it. And it was delicious. And I said, thank you. I didn't do what my coworkers did. Oh, you didn't have to do that. Why did you do that? Oh, that's so nice. But why did you? They were arguing with him. Why did you do that? Why isn't it okay to be nice? To just give. That's the love that comes from the Father. That's the love that's in Jesus. That's an unselfish love. A love that can be hurt and keep on loving. And if you're a parent, you know what I mean when I say that. A love that can be given to people who in various times in their lives are not so lovable. I know none of you know what that's like, but try and stay with me here. A love that can want somebody around, even if that person is weighed down with many challenges. You know, the truth is, most of the people that we invite to our holiday gatherings, and most of the people that many invite to their Christmas get-togethers, are people they believe will add to the celebration nature of it. If, you have, if people have people in their lives who are 360 days of the year grumpy and miserable and just don't know how to get along, for the five days of celebration that they engage in within their home, they're not usually going to invite these people. 
But we need a love that's inside of us that understands what Jesus did in coming to you and me. How he crossed the greatest chasm to deal with the mess and the mistakes in our lives. A love that can't wait for times when we gather. A love that doesn't need a holiday to throw a party. And I do want to tell you it was a wonderful cheesecake. Both pieces that I had. And I said thank you. And that was it. I lived what I preach. I just said thank you. A love that the Father has for the Son. That's Jesus' prayer, that we would understand that. And in understanding it, it would begin to emanate from, from within us to others. A love that is just glad you're here, glad you're you, glad we're together. That's what Jesus wants for Christmas. And that's what Jesus wants for the 4th of July. And that's what Jesus wants for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And that's what Jesus wants all year round. A love that echoes Psalm 122, verse number one. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I'll freely admit I've tried since I've been here to be transparent and be real with everyone. There are some days, some, that I don't want to get out of bed. I know none of you can relate, but hang with me here. There are some days that are Sundays when I lean over to my wife and say, do you think it's too late for me to get someone to preach for me? Or I'll just roll over and say, like, trying to behave like I was when I was 10. I don't want to go today. I know none of you have ever experienced that, but again, believe me, I'm being transparent here. And you'll be thankful for my loving wife. She says, you have to go. You're the pastor. Now get up. And I utter the, and I utter the words that have cemented my marriage for almost 40 years. Yes, dear. Because truly, it's when we get here that something unique happens, that something glorious happens. At least the potential for it exists. The love to, of the Father in the Son as we share with one another and to see and savor his glory. What a magnificent thing. I was glad eventually when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Stand with me, please. I'm going to ask the 